Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor-in-chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Olafunky Sokan of the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy about a recent study she conducted on medication adherence. This episode is presented by Drexel University as part of National Nurses Week. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Olafunke Sakan, advanced practice pharmacist at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, and we're going to talk about a new study that you've done. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for being here. Um, and before we kind of get started, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at the uh, University of Maryland. Yes, sure. My name is Dr. Sokan. Um, I'm one of the advanced practice pharmacists here um, at the SIP Center, um, which is Center for Innovative Pharmacy Solutions, one of the centers that we have at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Um, my clinical practice here is pretty much focused on population health, um, medication therapy management, uh, chronic disease state management. I help to improve transitions of care for hospital patients after they've been discharged from hospital to home and also reduce healthcare costs, um, particularly in the underserved population. So I see a lot of patients from the West Baltimore zip code. So these are patients that, you know, not only are complex medically, but also socially. Um, so that, yeah, that's what I do here at the center. All right. Uh, and want to talk to you about a study that you just released the results of about medication adherence. And I want to sort of start off by asking how much of a concern is medication adherence after hospital discharge? That's a great question. Um, I think that in answering this question, it's important that we first define what medication adherence is. Um, medication adherence um, is the extent to which a patient um, follows their medication regimen as prescribed by their doctor. Um, and I think the NIH puts it at about 75 patients. 75% uh, of patients are not adherent um, to wow. their medications. Um, and if you think about medication adherence, um, it involves a lot of factors, filling new prescriptions on time, um, refilling your old prescriptions as well, remembering to take medications on time and just simply understanding um, the directions for your medication. So in simple terms, um, it just means taking your medications correctly. Um, and if you think about that, that means that the medication has to be taken at the right dose, at the right time, at the right frequency, um, and following the right directions. Um, so we define um, medication adherence as when a patient takes their medication at least 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. So anything greater than 80 will consider that patient to be adherent. Um, so thinking about what I just said, that means 75% of patients do not take their medication at least 80% of times. Um, so um, medication adherence now becomes a big issue um, because non-adherence looks, it, it comes in different forms. Um, like I just said, like patient missing doses, not filling their prescriptions on time, stopping a medication early, um, or taking even like a lower dose than the doctor prescribed. So if the medication is taking, supposed to be taken twice a day, if you're taking it once a day, then it's not going to have the effect um, of you taking it twice a day. So all of those things come under the umbrella of medication and non-adherence. So it's a very serious problem. 
um, with detrimental consequences. Um, and it doesn't just affect patients. Um, it also has a financial toll on our healthcare system. So it is associated with um, things like unnecessary disease progression or complications or even unnecessary medication changes. Because mm -hmm. if your doctor have you on a regimen and you know it says follow up in six months and you follow up and your blood pressure is still high, there is a chance that that provider would you know start you on a different medication or even add on a second medication when the problem wasn't really the first medication it was just you not taking it as you right. ought to um some other you know effects of that would be hospital readmissions and death and a lot of these things are avoidable so i think we really need to be taking a closer look at non-adherence and deploying all that we can to help to reduce it excellent so tell me about the new study that um, just published and why you um, decided to do it? Um, I think that before I talk about the study, I would, you know, spend a little bit of time um, giving a background to the program sure. um, because the study was uh, off of this program. Um, so the, it's called the MIHCP program, um, and that stands for Mobile Integrated Health Community Paramedicine Program. Um, and it was a two pilot program that was started around about 2018. Um, and this program was led by the University of Maryland Medical Center, um, UMMC for short, um, in collaboration with the Baltimore City Fire Department um, and the University of Maryland Schools. So School of Pharmacy being part of that. Um, and like I said, it was two different programs, but the program that I'll be focusing on is the Transitional Health Support Program, um, which focuses on improving the patient's transition of care um, from hospital to home. Um, and so the program targets patients uh, with chronic diseases um, who require frequent hospitalization. And we use a multidisciplinary care model to deliver care um, to these patients outside the hospital setting. And the goal of the program was to reduce health disparities um, and to prevent hospital readmissions. So the team, the multidisciplinary team consists of um, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, community health workers, um, and uh, a pharmacy technician. Obviously, our, fr our frontliners for the program are community paramed paramedics that are specially trained. So they actually get deployed into the patient's home um, about 24 to 72 hours after discharge. Um, and they connect via technologies um, to something that we call an operation center. So the pharmacist is not physically in the home, um, mm -hmm. neither is the, um, physician or the nurse practitioner. So we connect um, through telehealth technologies. So it's one of the parts of technology. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so we, um, we address not only the medical needs of our patients, but we also look at social and economic factors that might affect the patient's access to quality health care. So, um, so going back to why we uh, decided to conduct the study, um, this study was conducted to assess the impact of the program on medication adherence among patients with congestive heart failure and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. Um, whilst 
we know that hospital readmissions are multifactorial. We know definitely that medication non-adherence is a known predictor of hospital readmission. So we, we pick this condition, CHF and COPD, because these conditions have a high readmission rate mm -hmm. and hospitals get penalized financially when these patients are readmitted within a 30-day um, window from the initial discharge. So we wanted to see the impact of our program in reducing, well, in improving medication adherence and, you know, I guess as another effect in reducing hospital um, readmissions. Uh, and what were your major findings from the study? We saw um, a higher medication adherence among our patients, so patients that were enrolled in the program um, compared to patients in the control group. Um, we saw about an 8 to 14% increase um, in medication adherence. In addition, we also saw that prescription fill rates increased by nearly 20% for patients with CHF, which is congestive heart failure, and about 25% for patients with COPD within the first 30 days. And what were the uh, interventions that sort of were, helped you uh, get that rate to go up? The reminders or? So um, again, um, this is a multidisciplinary, um, if, uh, I guess, model. Mm. Um, so it was a combination of um, different things. So on the pharmacy end, um, the pharmacy is in, the pharmacist is involved in medication reconciliation after discharge, which is very important mm -hmm. because when patients are in the hospital, there are lots and lots of medication changes. Um, and because it's such a difficult time for patients, um, they, a lot of my patients don't remember um, half yeah. of what they were told in the hospital. So it's important that there's somebody that's seen these patients immediately after they come out. And I think the great part of our program and this study um, is that we are also physically in the patient's home. So we're also able to remove like discontinued meds because a lot of patients get confused. So they start taking the new medication and the old medication. So there are a lot of medication errors. And this medication errors a lot of times happen during transition. So not just from transition from hospital to home, but even from one healthcare setting to another. So it's important that we have a complete and an accurate medication list. So one of the things that the pharmacist does is to, to get a, an accurate list of what the patient is taking. We also serve as care coordinators because a lot of times, um, you know, hospitals in good uh, faith, they, when a patient is discharged, they try to communicate um, discharge summaries to the patient's primary care provider. But there have been instances where um, the primary care provider did not even have a clue that the patient was in the hospital. Um, so we serve as care coordinators, just kind of like leveraging that and, you know, sending the information straight to the primary care. Um, and on our end, when we see the patients at home, if there are any medication discrepancies, we also loop in the primary care so that these medication-related problems that are identified are promptly resolved. Um, and not only do we talk to the patient's primary care uh, physician, we also connect with the patient's outpatient provider because it's very important that 
as you know, that we're moving from a system where uh, providers practice in silo to more integrated healthcare. So we really want to make sure that we're all on the same page as it pertains to the patient's care. So we look in the patient's retail pharmacist and let them know of any changes, get them to discontinue um, old prescriptions. Because a lot of patients, you know, when they call their pharmacy to, uh, to refill medications, sometimes my patients don't know their medications by name. Mm -hmm. So they would just call the pharmacy and say, can I refill my meds? And, you know, so the technician or whoever answers the phone might just go ahead and refill whatever is on file. So it's important that if medications are discontinued, that the retail pharmacy also knows about that so that right. they're taking off the patient's list. Um, in addition, we also have um, community health workers that follow up with the patient um, almost on a daily basis and um, just, you know, check in on the status of the patient because patients that are enrolled in the program are followed for a 30-day period. Um, so within the 30 days they get, um, if they don't have a primary care provider, we connect them to one. Mm -hmm. If they do have a primary care provider, we ensure that a um, after discharge follow-up is scheduled um, with their provider, not just scheduled, we actually ensure that the patients make it to that appointment um, because that's when, you know, things get solidified. That's, that's kind of like a warm handoff um, from hospital to the patient's outpatient provider. So I think that it's just the culmination of all of these activities um, that led to the um, improvements that we were seeing in medication adherence. Um, and I saw that uh, it mentioned the uh, improvements didn't continue beyond 30 to 60 days, uh, so additional interventions uh, might be needed after that. What kinds of things would you uh, think would be needed sort of after that point? That's a great question. Um, again, it's very important to, you know, to put it out there that these programs are grant funded, um, and that's why they only have a limited duration. Um, but the ideal scenario would be a case where um, we are able to do a warm handoff to the patient, uh, to the patient's community provider, um, and that the provider also has the access and the resources that we have, because a lot of time um, the retail pharmacists are interested in continuing the care of these patients. Um, but some of the barriers that they face um, in the pharmacy is not having access to, for example, hospital records. Mm -hmm. um, so it would be a case where community pharmacists would have to get involved so that when the patient comes out of hospital, there's a transitions of care. We are kind of like the bridge. You know, it's like it's almost like a Band-Aid approach. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're able to transfer the care of the patient um, from the inpatient team to the outpatient team where pharmacists continue to be integrated um, in the process. I think that that would be the ideal scenario where the retail pharmacy can continue to provide medication therapy management um, and have access to records because a lot of these errors sometimes come from you know, lack of um, what they call interoperability where right. you know this, we all have different electronic health records and it's not talking to one another so if you're doing something i don't know what was done for the patient last week i see the patient and i start something entirely different 
So, um, and I think that that's where we're going now with um, technology, where we're able to see, you know, and we're able to all be on the same page. When do you, uh, I mean, obviously money plays a role in just being able to provide, you know, technology and the, uh, for sort of everybody uh, to be able to do that. But when do you think um, that'll be able to happen where you can kind of, you know, reliably hand that off and, and you know, the adherence will, will continue? I think that um, it's actually currently being worked on now um, that there are partnerships um, between um, community pharmacists now, community uh, retail or retail pharmacists, they're getting more clinical. Um, and there are more collaboration between hospital systems um, and community practices, community uh, pharmacists. So I think that we are getting, we're not there yet, but mm -hmm. work is being done um, as we speak um, to make sure that these types of care um, can be continuous without a break, um, you know, when a patient leaves the hospital or gets, you know, discharged from our program. Uh, and what is the future for the uh, MIHCP program? Will you uh, be able to continue um, kind of doing what you're doing or is it sort of, uh, was it a limited uh, time period because of the grant? Yes, I mean, it's a limited time period because of the grant, um, but my hope is that programs like MIHCP can continue to function. Um, and that's why, you know, when we disseminate knowledge like this and we, you know, we, we assess the impact of a pilot program, um, the hope is as we continue to see positive trends um, is that we can, you know, establish these programs um, to be something that has come to stay that's not dependent on grant funding. Um, and so this would, you know, this would, um, this would need funding, you know, from, yeah. from the big dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope that happens soon. Um, Dr. Sokan, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Thank you so much for your time, Jay. All right. That wraps up episode 78 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks to Drexel University for sponsoring the episode. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again and stay safe.